unscripted. Each episode is available to view on YouTube, so be sure to check us out. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And there's a saying from an old uh, mycologist. This is a, someone who studies uh, fungi and, and mushrooms who was asked, well, how do you tell the difference between a toadstool and, and a regular mushroom? And his answer was, well, if you eat a toadstool, you'll die. And if you eat a mushroom, then you won't. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We are here once again with Brian Hales. Welcome. Hello. Okay, I think in every other episode we've done with you, we've been talking about something related to Joseph Smith's polygamy. We're not going to do that today. We're talking about something else. And uh, this actually kind of goes back to uh, an episode that we did. Taylor's behind the camera, but I think you were in the episode. We did an episode responding to comments. And uh, one of the comments we got was, hey, I've heard this rumor, this theory that Joseph Smith's first vision experience when he saw God the Father and Jesus Christ, which is kind of the, you know, the the foundation of our religion, they said, I've heard that this could have been caused by drugs, by hallucinogenic drugs or mushrooms or or whatever it might be. The mushrooms! This is something that I know next to nothing about. Not the first vision. I know stuff about that, but but drugs. Um and you were alive in the 60s, so I'm assuming that you know plenty. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not um, personally. <laughs> but you've done a lot of research on this topic. Uh, it's, a, it's a claim that's become more popular recently for some reason. I feel like we've just seen it showing up more often. But what's the deal here? What, what exactly are the claims and what do, we, what do we do with this topic? I was approached by Interpreter in 2020 to respond to an article that was published the year before entitled The Entheogenic Origins of Mormonism, A Working Hypothesis. And this was an article that was printed in an online journal, the Journal of Psychedelic Studies, by four individuals. One was an ER physician who was retired. There was a college professor. And some of you may know... uh, Bryce Blank and Angel. Anyway, he he goes to conferences and I think he has a podcast. But anyway, by individuals who have a tie to the, to the Latter Day Saints, none of them I think are participating. But they had this theory that um, Joseph Smith's visions and the visions of members in the early church were actually generated by chemicals that they ingested. And the word entheogen is is used to describe these chemicals. And it's a relatively new word. When I researched it, I couldn't find anybody using it more than maybe a dozen years ago. And if you break it down, theo is uh, religion, uh, gen is to generate, and then n is, uh, I guess, uh, a chemical that that we can ingest uh, to do that. So it's kind of just putting together these partial words to create this term that now describes a chemical that gives you a vision. And anyway, when interpreter approached me, I really wasn't that interested, and I turned them down. But then they came back, and and as I got into it, I w- I found it to be very fascinating, uh, very intriguing, uh, topic to research. And so I published a, a a response to it, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that says. It's available on interpreter, but to to understand what what they're saying is that they they outline in the article seven. Uh, substances that they think Joseph ingested 
and gave to the followers, the early Latter-day Saints, to create these visionary experiences. And, and it's fun to kind of look at these substances. And, and I'd like to do that for just a minute, if you don't mind. Because do uh, I found it fascinating with my background as a physician and, and also my interest in history and, and, and all that. It just came together for me as something I, I found uh, uh, very enjoyable to discuss. But the first one that they mentioned is a mushroom called Psilocybe ovoidicistidiata. And it, it, it's a fairly average looking mushroom. And if you harvest them, they, they are a long mushroom. And these, these mushrooms, if you eat them, and you can dry them and eat them, but what they will release in your body is a drug called psilocybin. Now, this is a drug that is regulated by the DEA. It's called a Schedule One drug. And what that means is uh, the average physician could not prescribe that. Uh, my DEA license allows me to prescribe Schedules Two through Five, um, but one is only uh, you can appeal for uh, you know studies and things. But uh, if you if you take this um, into into your uh, system, you will have an interesting situation. And I wanted to use and I talk about this in the article. But in 1957, they had a uh, a researcher, uh, such as research was conducted in 1957, who went down to Mexico, and. and and here's the uh, the issue, but he went down to Mexico and under the guidance of a woman uh, Indian shaman, uh, he consumed a number of these uh, mushrooms. And I'd like to read the account if that's okay. It's sure. not very long, but here's, here's what he reported. He said, following Indian counsel, he ate 12 fresh fruit bodies of the psilocybe cubenus gathered by him that morning. The ingestion was an interesting Indian nocturnal ceremony conducted by an old Mazatec woman. He decided, after taking these, to go to his straw sleeping mat, which was in a corner of the room where the ceremony had taken place. While he was on the straw sleeping mat, he suddenly saw a caricature of a gigantic colored castle with two human faces. The castle was his gasoline lamp mushroom dryer at the opposite corner of the room. The castle smiled at him and said, Come, come to me, don't be afraid. The author was greatly surprised and frightened, and he reached for his eyeglasses to see the mushroom dryer. Then the castle laughed loudly. He decided to turn his back on it and sleep, but sleep was impossible, because he began to see many attractive bright colors wherever he turned, regardless of where his eyes were opened or closed. These colors gradually transformed into gigantic black men who danced around him singing. In that moment, the author felt very comfortable and asked the castle to please keep silent because he was busy and happy looking at the spectacle. These gigantic men were really a little dark dog chasing a cat. After the above visions, he saw many others, spectacularly colored things and persons, but the castle was there all night saying to him, come, come to me. Finally, he fell asleep, and in the normal sleep after six hours, he woke up, and, and he felt fairly normal. Now, in the article, I, I have other accounts of people, but a couple of things to notice here. Even though this is a bright vision, 
and he found it this one enjoyable. He had other experiences with these mushrooms that were not positive, that, that, were, that were bad trips, if you want to use that terminology. So just because he took the mushrooms, even under the guidance of a shaman, doesn't mean that you're going to have a good trip. And another real concern about these mushrooms is they, they look pretty average here. But they are also very similar to death caps, which is a mushroom that will kill you. And there's a saying from an old uh, mycologist, this is a, someone who studies uh, fungi and, and mushrooms, who was asked, well, how do you tell the difference between a toadstool and, and a regular mushroom? And his answer was, well, if you eat a toadstool, you'll die. And if you eat a mushroom, then you won't. So um, that isn't very good counsel when you come to having to discern between them because even uh, very skilled um, mushroom uh, foragers struggle to discern between one that can kill you and one that can give you this kind of an experience. And so if we're going to say Joseph Smith or anybody around him was harvesting these and using them to gain some kind of visionary experience, we've got to uh, attribute to them a skill of, of discerning uh, the poisonous versions of these mushrooms from those that that uh, would give you the experience. So it, there's a there would definitely be a learning curve uh, of safety in trying to understand uh, which ones are going to give the desired function. And then we notice also that you had to eat quite a few of these mushrooms. Um, the article suggests that Joseph is, is surreptitiously introducing psilocybin uh, mushrooms into the uh, sacrament to the bread or more likely into the water or wine that they're using. But to ingest enough psilocybin to give a visionary experience, he, he's eating, you know, a dozen of these or more. Yeah, you, you couldn't do it with the quantities that are required. So it just, just doesn't fit the picture. And of course, there's no evidence Joseph knew anything about mushrooms or that he ever harvested or ever even ate them. All of this is speculative in the article. Now, a second mushroom, and it's very pretty. You'll see the, the picture there. Um, this mushroom is called Amanita muscaria. Uh, it's more common called uh, fly agaric or bug agaric because there's this belief that it kills bugs, but it really doesn't. But this one uh, has a different drug. It doesn't give you psilocybin. It gives you drugs called ibotenic acid and mucimol. And, and these can give you something of a vision but they most often give you a bad trip. And yet, because they change the mind, and because not everybody in history has been able to have the psilocybin uh, species of mushrooms to use, people would even resort to these. But um, in, in my reading, one of the mushroom uh, experts related how for every one person who likes Amanita muscaria, there's 20 to 50 who like the psilocybin uh, version of, of mushroom ingestion. So it, it really doesn't have a lot of abuse potential. It's just, I think, people who are desperate and want some kind of a weird experience will take it. Um, and, and it's very pretty and easy to find. So, uh, But historically, it would not have given the kind of, of visions um, that are in the Book of Mormon, or even the kind of visions that the psilocybin mushrooms gave. But let me also say, with all of the visions that we'll talk about here, and, and some of them don't give visions at all, um, they aren't visions that are communicating information, knowledge. Joseph Smith's visions, like Section 76 and, and the other revelations that came, all of these things are communicating information, knowledge that can be useful when you're awake, when you're not having this, this experience. 
That is not the characteristic of any of the seven compounds that we're going to talk about today. They don't communicate knowledge. So this is one of the many uh, problems with this, this theory. Um, the next one is called claviceps purea. And this is a fascinating drug. It's, it produces a drug called ergot, or they call it ergot. Um, ergot actually isn't a single drug, but it's a combination of drugs. But these are fungus that grow on primarily rye, but on barley or, or wheat as well. And historically, this has been a huge issue because people would raise rye and they would have this claviceps purpurea on the rye, but they didn't want to lose the rye because that was their foodstuffs. So they just mix it all together. Well, this, this ergot is a combination of up to 200 drugs. And, and some of the drugs could give you some kind of a hallucinogenic experience, but other of the drugs would vasoconstrict your, the, the vessels in your fingers and create a lot of pain. And St. Anthony's dance is, is a, a term they use for people who would have this disease, and they didn't know it was coming from the, the rye that they were eating that was contaminated with this fungus. And, and they also theorize that maybe the behavior of the women who were killed as witches in the Salem witch trials, may some of their behaviors may actually have been from ingesting this claviceps purpurea. But the, as we try to compare it to Joseph Smith's and, and his visions, it just, there's just no parallel there. This is, this is a poison. But the reason I think they included it is some of the 200 chemicals that are made by this fungus that you would ingest if you would eat it, um, some of these are precursors of LSD. But at no time could you take this, this ergot and, and have it actually give you some kind of a, a hallucinogenic experience like LSD would do. Historically, ergot has been given to women to try to postpone labor and some things like that, but you're giving them this big cocktail of drugs and you're, you're not always sure which one is going to be predominant. But for abuse, there, there simply is none for this particular fungus. Now, the next two, we've talked about three, are, are plants. And Datura stramonium is the next one. And, and this has other names. It's also called Jimson weed, thorn apple, uh, devil's trumpet, these, these kind of things. And it has three drugs that it uses, atropine, hyoscyamine, and scopolamine. As an anesthesiologist, I had on my very cart atropine and scopolamine. Um, but they weren't drugs that were ever we ever worried about giving you uh, hallucinations. The hyoscyamine maybe could do it a little more, but you had to get into toxic doses of these drugs before you really are going to have any kind of a, a neurological uh, a ch a change that, that might be considered a vision or something. When I was a, an intern in Spokane, Washington in 1985, I uh, had a patient assigned to me and I went in and, and he was Jimson weed toxic. This was a teenager boy who had uh, overdosed on Jimson weed and he was, I couldn't communicate with him, but he was talking and he was, he was talking to imaginary people and he was smoking an imaginary cigarette and he was trying to leave at times through an imaginary door. So it was clear to me that there was some kind of a hallucination going on in there. But uh, I, we, I couldn't connect with him. There was just no way to evaluate him. He wasn't cooperative. But I went back and talked to my attending, and he didn't. He wasn't concerned at all. He said, oh, "I just admit him to the floor with with somebody there to watch him, and and uh, it'll be fine." And and the next day, I went by and talked with this young man. He was lucid, didn't remember anything, and uh, and we discharged him, and and he did just fine. But the experience wasn't something you remember, so I don't think you would have called it pleasurable, and certainly it didn't communicate any kind of of information 
Um, so, so is something that could have, you know, been used by Joseph Smith or early members uh, to have the the visions. Again, it just doesn't doesn't fit. Um, the next plant is called Hyosiamus niger, or or another name for it is black henbane, uh, stinking nightshade, or the other names. And it's called henbane, I think, in part because if hens eat it, they they get paralyzed and they die. So it would be a bane to hens, and it has a little different focus. It has the hyoscyamine as the primary drug that it uses, but again, it has uh, it isn't going to give somebody a, an actual hallucinogenic experience. These are more accurately called deliriums because they put person into deliria rather than into hallucinations. Will they paralyze and kill a human? If you get a high enough dose, they they could they could affect the, your your paralysis and, and breathing and things like that. So the sixth of the seven is Lovophora williamsi. And this was a fun one to research. It's a cactus. It's it's called peyote. And I knew nothing about it till we researched it. And the drug that it has as its active element is called mescaline. And mescaline is a schedule one drug. It's again regulated by the DEA. If you look at it, these these uh, cactus are very small about the size of a button, a half a dollar piece, if you hold them in your hand. But to get uh, this drug to work and give you the, the hallucination that is sought, you really have to eat at least eight of these and sometimes up to 20. So again, this is not something that Joseph Smith could have surreptitiously introduced to his followers. But the drug is still used today. And it can be it can be smoked and or dried or, or or used to dissolved in water as it's dried or they can just be eaten as you you harvest them. Um, but again, it doesn't give the person a prescribed hallucination or vision. Um, the users of peyote though have been quoted as saying that the white man goes into his church and talks about Christ, and the the Indian goes into his teepee and talks to Christ. And he's talking about how peyote seems to facilitate this. And the accounts from people who are using these drugs talk about how they do seem to become one with a, a, a great white force or, or a greater intelligence or something. Um, but the use of these types, types of drugs don't, uh, when people are done, they don't want to go join a religion that teaches of one God like uh, Islam or Judaism or Christianity. So again, there's problems with even these feelings that seem to talk about God from these people who use it. Now, last one. Can I, quick oh, question ahead, about sure, peyote. Sure. I, is this something that would have even been around upstate New York? Well, uh, it's a great question because I have also included a, a map and you can, you can throw that up here now, but you'll notice that peyote is only found it only grows naturally in the very southern part of Texas and northern Mexico. And this is thousands of miles away from Nauvoo. Mm. And, and so it, it wouldn't have been something known to Joseph. Uh, the article theorizes that there were migrating Indians that would bring it up and Joseph commissioned them. It's all speculation. Yeah. It's all... Because they have to find some way to get it from right, there right. to here. I mean, the, the, the authors are, are, are very creative in their fantasies about how this could have happened. But as far as any historical evidence to support any of this, they're, they're simply, it's lacking. It's just lacking. So the map also introduces our fifth one, which is the Sonoran Desert Toad. 
And the, this toad lived uh, in southern Arizona and, and western northern Mexico. So it's even farther away from Nauvoo than the uh, peyote uh, cactus. But this particular toad um, has parotid glands right behind its eyes. And you can actually see them there. And what you do is you take this and you, you squeeze the, the parotid gland out and you squirt it onto a glass plate and then you let it dry and you divide this up because one parotid gland can give you enough for about five of these uh, experiences. And then you divide it up into five and then you smoke it. And within seconds of smoking this, it gives you an experience again that uh, has hallucinations associated with it. Uh, they're usually positive, but not always. They can sometimes be negative. Uh, and this is uh, even popular today. It doesn't hurt the toad. Um, another way that you can do it, though, is if you sacrifice the toad, you can dry the skin and, and smoke the skin or eat the skin, and it's in the skin. Now, um, with respect to this, this type of a, uh, a drug, and it's called 5-methyloxy-DMT. Uh, and when you do DMT, boom, you go into that other place. And DMT is regulated by the uh, DEA. So again, this is something that they do experiments on it. And we know a lot about this, but to hide it into sacrament or something for Joseph Smith to use it again, it just doesn't fit. You can't, you can't do that. This needs to be smoked or it just isn't nearly as effective. There is a story though about a, a man who, who got the wrong species of toad. And he, he squeezed out the parotid gland secretions and then he licked his thumb and just that concentration from the wrong toad's parotid gland was enough to put him into seizures. So again, this is not something that you can just pick up and, and, and implement. You've got to have some expertise on, is this the right toad? And then how do you prepare it? Uh, and if you get it wrong, it could kill you kind of thing. Because these secretions are in the toad, they're protective to the toad. You know, if, if, if an animal eats one of these toads and gets super sick, next time they're supposed to learn that they don't do it. I don't know that they excrete this, but maybe they do as part of their defenses. But but again, the, the idea that these types of, of entheogens that, that we call them, these chemicals, could have helped Joseph Smith or been responsible for the first vision or for any of the visions is simply not supported. And the article, and in, in closing, I just was going to go over the, the six um, claims that the article makes and just show how they really are not valid claims. Sure. Is that okay? Please do. Um, the article says that entheogens were found in every area the Smith family resided and produced that produced visions and spiritual ecstasies. This is true for some of the mushrooms um, and, and some of the other ones that are deliriums that don't create hallucinations, but deliriums. Uh, clearly is not true for peyote and for the Sonoran toad. Uh, so it's, it's invalid. Uh, the second one is that Joseph Smith was mentored by individuals with experience in esoteric fields of knowledge. Now, you just got to say, what in the world is that? <laughs> it's a little general, yeah, isn't it's it? it's a little general. It's not saying that Joseph was tutored by people who knew how to distinguish death caps from regular mushrooms uh, or, or the mushrooms that would have uh, psilocybin in them. It's really not a very helpful claim. The third one is visionary experiences in early Mormon and were frequently on demand rather than spontaneous. And th this might be somewhat true because during the dedication of the Kirtland Temple, 
they there were a lot of reports of, of visionary experiences. It's it's wonderful time. If you haven't read about those experiences, find an account. It, it's they're really amazing. But there's no account that that they were given the uh, sacrament ahead of time. In other words, how did all these people get fooled into thinking their visions came from something that they just smoked? ate or applied to their skin well they they didn't i mean these these people were not stupid and if if some joseph were giving them an entheogen and then they're having a vision of some kind of hallucination after he they would make the connection so again there's all kinds of problems the, the, it's kind I mean, of a it's kind of a funny image though uh, you know you've got a bunch of plotting church leaders in the back just milking these frogs of their <laughs> glands of their juices uh, and putting it in the that's just weird it's a little bit of a stretch, right? Or, and by a little or, bit, I mean a lot of bit. Yeah, <laughs> or they're cutting up, you know, uh, cactus and, and hiding it in the bread, or I don't know. Uh, yeah. Oh, I didn't mention there. There are claims that Joseph was taught by a guy named Lumen Walters. He was a folk magician, and and the article quotes Michael Quinn, uh, refers to his his books on on the magical uh, worldview. Um, they refer to that several times. So I wrote an email to Michael. He, he Before he passed away, he, he was a friend of mine. And I said, look, these authors are associating entheogenic consumption with your findings on magic in Joseph Smith's life. And do you, did you ever find anything to make you think there was a connection there? And he wrote me back and he says, it's all speculation. I don't believe any of what they're saying. And you can quote me. And, that, and so I include that in the article, and I'm paraphrasing what he said, but but that's essentially what he told me. And and so really uh, associating it with with what we can document uh, is there's just there's no tie-in. And Michael was very willing to acknowledge that. Joseph Smith devised a method to facilitate dramatic religious experience among his followers. Um, again, I think we can only go back to the Kirtland Temple. Uh, because we don't find him promising an experience to uh, the members at, at really any other time. And we can't find entheogens being a part of that experience. So so it doesn't really help. And aren't there even experiences recorded from people that weren't even in the temple? Like people totally separated that like see the temple and they're like, there's something going on there. That, that's a very good point. David, that uh, that they they saw angels on the on, on the roof on the roof. They saw a light around the temple. Again, our, uh, if there's something going on in the temple with entheogens, why would these be described? The fifth one is there was also there was an association between early Mormon visionary experience and participation in Mormon ordinances where bread and wine were served and oil anointings were received. I went through and, and looked at. Um, the 33 references to the sacrament in the history of the church volumes, there's mm -hmm. seven volumes. Of those 33, only three of them mention some kind of a spiritual experience, not, not necessarily visionary, but spiritual experience occurring afterwards. Mm -hmm. So this is a claim that they, they don't give any documentation to, to validate it. They just state it and, and move on, but it, you can't historically validate it. And then the last one is visionary experiences of the magnitude experienced during Joseph Smith's life ceased at his death. And it is true that Joseph was the prophet restorer for this dispensation. He gave us the Book of Mormon. He gave us the Doctrine and Covenants, Revelations, Book of Moses, Book of Abraham. And that was his role as the restorer. Subsequent prophets have not been tasked with that type of restoration because Joseph laid the foundation. We didn't need that. But to say that Brigham Young didn't have visions and that the people in that day didn't have visions is simply false. 
that we don't have them today. That in this room there are people who have these kinds of things are, are things that, that could are, that are true, I believe, but that we aren't going to talk about. And so this last claim, you, you can't prove a negative, so there's no way to really deal with it. Um, but but the reality is that if you study Joe, Brigham Young's life, he was a very spiritual man. He reported visions, um, but he also said, I have what the Lord gives me, but I don't usually share it. And, and so that's how he approached it. So I would just say this last one is simply false. So if we look at their claims, I think they're, they're dubious at best. And that uh, the whole idea, even though it's fascinating, and I'm glad I wrote this paper. I spent several, well, a couple months on it doing the research and writing. But um, I, I really uh, find it to be a very uh, speculative and, and weak attempt to, to move Joseph Smith's supernatural experiences in, into a natural realm to provide a natural explanation for things that Joseph described that really are clearly supernatural. Kids, don't do drugs. <laughs> Be like Joseph Smith and don't do drugs. That's <laughs> Don't go licking toads or things like that. That's not a good idea. Don't go eating mushrooms. Even if you're looking for a naturalistic explanation, even if you're not a believer, this route probably isn't the most logical route to go. Like, pick something else. Like, if I was not a believer, I would be more willing to believe that he just lied than to believe that he was this drug enthusiast and was importing peyote from the Mexican desert, I guess, southern Texas. Things like that. Just, it's interesting stuff, but I think this is one that should be put to bed as quickly as it woke up. Yeah, I, I I don't know what the original authors uh, were thinking. Um, I I know Blake a little bit. Seems like a nice guy, but there are some theories that from the get go are just uh, too unbelievable to really want to attach your name to. And even though the title says it's a working hypothesis, you don't have to to go very far before you realize this. This just doesn't work. And yet they keep pushing it forward, pushing it forward with arguments that aren't that I think valid or documentable. And uh, so it just, I scratched my head a little bit about this one. Why was this article even written? But I'm glad it was because it, it deals with a topic that we can, I think, uh, say, no, this, this wasn't. Brian, thank you for being here. This has been one of those claims that, I mean, I, I haven't known much about. There's not a lot of research out there on it yet, simply because it is kind of a, a newer thing. Uh, but we appreciate the research you've done. Thanks for coming on with us. Any any final thoughts for people? Or are we good? No, I, I like what he said. Don't do drugs. Thanks for listening. If you want to watch our videos, check us out on YouTube or shoot us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.